Good evening. How's everybody tonight? All right, it's officially summer, or maybe not officially, according to the calendar, but it is by my calendar, so, you know, you get to come up here and teach at Watermark, although, hey, it is Watermark, so you can teach like this anytime, I guess. Uh, But thanks for being here. Uh, uh, Let me pray for us. Um, My name is Bobby Crotty, and uh, uh, I serve as the men's equipping director here at Watermark. And uh, um, I've been doing sticky pages this uh, since 2010, and the idea is to focus on those uh, parts of your Bible that still stick together, hence the name sticky pages. And so we've done everything from um, some of the minor prophets to the book of Revelation to Leviticus. Last year we did the four one-chapter books in the New Testament Uh, And this year, the kings of Israel and Judah. And so we'll have a chance to walk through 1st and 2nd Kings. Uh, So now I'll make good on my promise to pray for us, and we'll get rolling. Lord, thanks for these folks who have uh, devoted this fine Thursday evening to uh, learning more about uh, your word, learning more about uh, uh, people who have gone before us, and learning about... uh, um, the challenge that they face and the challenge that we face today of whose way will we follow. And so, Lord, uh, may this study uh, help each of us uh, to make the decision to follow your way uh, to your honor and glory. Amen. All right, gang, so that's my question for you guys is, why are you here? Okay, why do you want to know about the kings of Israel and Judah? You know, I haven't looked, but I don't think the name Jesus or Messiah or anything like that appears in the Kings. I guess I ought to look before I say something like that, but um, I don't think it does. So why do we want to know about the Kings? Any brave souls to volunteer? Yes, ma'am. Oh, well, good. Did y'all hear that? She's, she read um, First and Second Kings on the journey. I hope all of you are reading along in the journey. It's a great way this year particularly to read through the whole Bible. And so, you know, I had kind of the same feeling. Uh, even knowing I was going to teach this class, I just went, man, there are a lot of guys here, and it's hard to keep them all straight. And it's particularly hard to keep them straight when some of them have the same name, even though they're kings in different uh, um, some in the southern kingdom, some in the northern kingdom. And, uh, um, you know, um, they call the uh, um, place that they rule over by different names. And so it, it is tricky. And so my goal uh, for this class is um, we're going to skip the big guys. We're going to skip David. We're going to skip, uh, um, well, we're definitely going to skip Saul. We're going to skip David. We're going to skip Solomon. Okay, uh, and we're going to focus on the kings who ruled uh, when Israel divided into two uh, separate kingdoms: the northern kingdom that was composed of ten tribes in the north, and the southern kingdom that uh, was composed of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the south. Okay, and to keep that straight, we're going to refer to the northern kingdom as Israel which that's already kind of confusing, and we'll refer to the southern kingdom as Judah, okay, as the 
leading tribe of the southern kingdom. And so, you know, my goal is to talk about each one of the 39 or 40 uh, kings. There's, you know, some debate about whether there were 39 or 40, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But we're going to talk about every one of them, and I'm going to give you a template for your use to um, um, be able to decipher and tell the difference between all these different kings. I hope I don't need those. Oh, thank you, buddy. Um, and then for those who stick it out, oh, bless you. Those for, who stick it out, I have this handy-dandy little chart that uh, will be available on the last night. Okay? So don't miss the last night. And it talks about each one of the different kings. And it really starts up here with creation. And it ends in AD 70. And so it's kind of a timeline. You know, I don't guarantee the dates. But it's simply an effort to try to put, make some sense out of uh, something that can be a lot of confusing history. And so it will be worth you having this. In fact, I keep this at my desk. And so when I was reading through the journey, um, I pulled it out as we'd get to the different kings. Uh, and it's got a little shorthand uh, uh, reference to each one of the kings and tells you some of the significant events of that particular king's reign. So this will be available the last night for those, the faithful ones who uh, uh, stick it out through all of this. Okay, so let's take a look at um, what we're going to be doing. So we'll start out tonight, and we'll start with where the kingdom divides, with Jeroboam serving as the king of the northern kingdom, the first king of the northern kingdom. And uh, then we'll go down through Omri, who is also a king of the northern kingdom, and we'll deal with six kings of the northern kingdom and three kings of the southern kingdom. Six kings of Israel, three kings of uh, uh, Judah, okay? And so we're going to cover about nine kings tonight, Lord willing, okay? If I don't uh, get sidetracked or start preaching or something, okay? And so then you can see how the weeks will lay out in the, the next uh, three weeks after that, okay? Um, we have this little book for sale um, I think it's 10 bucks. Um, I think uh, you can get it on Amazon for uh, about the same price. Um, I have found this very helpful. I've been reading this as I've uh, prepared. Uh, it's written by a guy named Robert Hubbard. And uh, this little series called the Every Man's Bible Commentary is a great little series. It's uh, conservative in perspective. Uh, I used uh, uh, Charles Ryrie's commentary in this series for teaching the book of Revelation. I used uh, um, uh, the Leviticus commentary for when we did Leviticus. And one of the things I love most about um, these commentaries in this series is that they are short. Okay? Um, we all have too much to do. And so these are a simple, direct uh, summary of what's going on, giving you some insight into what's going on in uh, the king. So um, if this would help you, we've got some for sale, or you can get it on Amazon or down at the Dallas Seminary Bookstore. Uh, and uh, I, th I think this will give you some insights that we certainly will not have time to go into on each one of the different kings. Okay, it's called uh, um, creatively First and Second Kings. 
okay, by Robert Hubbard. So get that if it will help you. But it's not going to be a, uh, a textbook uh, that we're going to use and we'll uh, be making assignments out of because this is summer. And there's no homework, okay? So you don't have to do any homework for the class. If you want to read ahead, you can use this little guideline to, um, you know, read from uh, next week from Ahab to Joash, okay? Um, but there is no homework. Just come on and come. And uh, hopefully um, as we go through, we're also going to have some table discussion along the way. And so hopefully uh, it'll be something that you find fun and entertaining and something that will help you get a handle on the different kings of Israel and Judah. Okay, any questions so far? All right, so let me ask you another question. So why Israel? Why did God choose Israel? You know, you hear the phrase still today that the Jews are God's chosen people. Why did he choose them? Any brave souls to volunteer on that one? Tom? Descendants of Abraham? He certainly, uh, he first picked Abraham as a, a guy that he came to and said, hey, I want you to leave your family, leave your country, and go to a land that I'm going to give you. And what happened? Well, Abraham believed God and became the model of faith in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Paul uses him as the model of faith in the New Testament, in Romans 4, for example. Okay? What does that underscore to us? That, hey, salvation's the same in the Old Testament and the New. They look forward to the promised coming Messiah. We look back to the Messiah who came. Okay? And so... Why did uh, God pick the Jews? Well, when I started asking myself that question, I did something that all of y'all can do. I typed in, why did God choose Israel to be his chosen people? And I went to gotquestions.org. If that's not a site that you're familiar with, it ought to be. It even has an app. Okay? And it's easy to use as a starting point to get you some scripture references, and to get, get you an um, evangelical take on whatever question it is that you want to ask. It's a solid website that a bunch of folks on Watermark staff use uh, frequently. Okay? Um, so, let's go look at some scripture. Why Israel? Let's turn to uh, Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. And we're going to talk a lot about Deuteronomy because it is something that gives us the standard for evaluating the kings, okay? And so why Israel? Here's what uh, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 7. He said, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you're more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers 
that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the, house, uh, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Okay? And so, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us simply that God chose Israel because God chose Israel. Okay? It was his choice. And you know something else, gang? If you've put your trust in Christ, God has chosen you as well. Okay? And you know, the, the gracious thing is that he has made his offer of salvation available to everybody. Okay? You simply have to make a decision about who Christ is. And so, this study is not about Christ, but this study is about um, making right decisions. And the first right decision that we can make today is making a decision about who Christ is. You know, he claimed to be Lord of all. And the classic C.S. Lewis formulation is that he was either telling the truth, or he was a liar, or he was a lunatic. And I would suggest to you that history and scripture both point to the fact that he wasn't a liar, and he wasn't a lunatic. And so ultimately, you've got to make that decision about who do you say that Christ is? You know, um, the key verse in uh, um, the Gospel of Matthew is Matthew sixteen sixteen, where um, the Lord asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And that's a question that rings throughout the halls of history, down through the ages. We each have to make that determination of who do you say that I am? And Peter answered as one of Peter's finest moments where he answered that uh, you're the uh, Christ, the son of the living God. Okay? And so once you've made that determination, once you've made that decision, then you've got to make a decision on a daily basis, who am I going to live for? Am I going to live for Bob today? Or am I going to live for the Lord? And I've never found it works out very well when I go about living for Bob. Okay? That just doesn't go so well. Um, unfortunately, we've got my wife here uh, tonight. Uh, I'm glad she's here, but she could tell you she's seen what happens when we run Bob's offense, and it's not pretty. Okay? And so we're going to see that same thing come true with the kings. When they decide to follow the Lord's way, Things go well, not only for them, but because of their position for uh, all of Israel or all of Judah. And actually, that's probably a, uh, a misstatement to say all of Israel, simply because the northern kingdom did not have a single king that was said to be one who followed after the ways of the Lord. They were all bad kings. Now, some of them had some moments, uh, some redemptive moments, uh, but they were all... In the end, they followed a pattern that was set by the very first king, Jeroboam, in the northern kingdom. But eight of the 20 kings in the southern kingdom were described as being good kings uh, who followed the way of the Lord. Okay, and so uh, Genesis 3.15 is uh, um, the promise that uh, uh, there would come from the woman, one who would crush the serpent's head, the first promise of the Messiah. Uh, and Genesis 12, 1 through 3, as Tom alluded to, uh, um, is the uh, uh, Abrahamic covenant where God said, hey, um, when you think Abrahamic covenant, think three things, land, seed, and blessing. 
that um, God was giving Abraham a land, the promised land. Uh, He was saying your descendants are going to be like the uh, sands of the sea. And he said that you're going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And he was going to be a blessing to everyone through the fact that the Messiah would come through the line of Abraham and through the people, his people, the Jews. Okay? All right. And so uh, um, then John 3.16 is a verse we all know, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, he gave his son to a particular people. And Jesus came through, you know, Joseph and Mary, who were Jews. And so he then became the one who was, he always has been, the one who was meant to be the blessing promised to Abraham. And so what did God desire for for Israel? Well, first, that they would teach others about him. They were to be a, a nation of priests and prophets to the world, And by being a distinct people who followed the ways of the Lord, they were to call others to do the same thing. And the Jews blew it because uh, instead of reaching out to all the world, they started to say, well, the world is uh, a bunch of uh, dirtbags that they called Gentiles. And they huddled up in a holy huddle instead of reaching out to the world. You know, gang, that same thing can be the attitude of the church if we don't watch out. We are called to reach out to people outside these four walls, okay? That's one of the reasons this church has uh, such an external focus, is that if we're just all sitting around here talking with each other about Jesus, we're not growing. It's when we get outside these four walls and start talking with those who don't know about Christ that we start to make an impact on the world. That's what uh, the Lord wanted the Jews to do. They had that opportunity and they blew it when they rejected Christ as the Messiah. And then the Lord came along and said, hey, I'm going to raise up something else that's going to take the place of uh, Israel for a season, not forever, but just for a season. And I'm going to work through something that I call the church. And I'm going to use the church to be ambassadors to a watching world. And I'm going to use the church to be a kingdom of priests, to represent me to those who don't know me. And that's what we're to do. Okay? And so, um, teach others about him, be a nation of priests, and be a distinct people who point others towards God. That sounds a lot like the church. Because it is the same mission. We have not replaced Israel, and Israel and the church aren't the same thing, but we have the same mission to lead others to have relationship with uh, God through having a relationship with Christ. Are you with me on that? All right, let's keep rolling. And so now we have a people through whom the promised Messiah would come. So why a king? Okay, question, uh, anybody got the answer on why a king? Well, if you did, hmm? They begged God for one. Uh, Why did they want one, though? Well, you can do the same thing. You can go to got questions, and this question was, was it wrong for the Israelites to ask for a king? 
And as this gentleman says, they asked for one. They wanted one. And why did they want one? Well, we're going to read in just a second. But they wanted to be like everyone else. Okay? They wanted to have, uh, as they say, a, a king to judge, to serve as a judge for them. And they wanted a king who would fight their battles for them. And they wanted a king to provide them security that the Lord's sitting there going, well, wait, what am I, a chopped liver? Um, Haven't I taken care of you? Haven't I gotten you out of Egypt? Haven't I defeated the Egyptians uh, at the Red Sea? And haven't I uh, shepherded this nation up to the promised land? Okay, so let's look at those. So why a king? Let's turn to 1 Samuel 8. And we'll look at uh, verses 4 through 9. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. Remember, Samuel was uh, uh, both a a prophet and a judge, uh, the last judge, I think, at Ramah, and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations." But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. The Lord set it up so that he could be uh, the king, but people didn't want that. And then he goes on and says, Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Okay, and so why did the Lord say, hey, warn them about kings? Well, he knew the hearts of kings. So let's keep going on uh, uh, 1 Samuel 8, uh, verses 10 through 18. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. This is Samuel's warning to them. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He'll take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He'll appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He'll take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He'll take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He'll take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He'll take the tenth of your flock and you shall be his slaves. In that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves but the Lord will not answer you in that day. And so was Israel to write, was Israel right to ask for a king? Well, ultimately, I don't think so. Um, the bottom line is, if you keep reading down in First uh, Samuel 8, 19 and 20, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, "No, but there shall be a king over us that we may." And that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us. 
be our security, in other words, and fight our battles. That's why they wanted a king, okay, for all the wrong reasons. And it's not going to work out so well for you. But, you know, this is something that the Lord knew was coming, obviously. And he even had Moses address this. Now turn to Deuteronomy 17. Back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 20. This is kind of the law of the kings. And this tells, uh, um, Moses was telling the people that when they did something like this, these are the things they needed to bear in mind. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Okay, so this is Deuteronomy, long time before Samuel writes in uh, 1 Samuel. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers, in other words, a, a fellow countryman, you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only, and listen what he tells the kings, the future kings. He must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not uh, acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And so when you think about kings, what were some of the things that marked Solomon? Lots of wives, lots of horses. In fact, he married uh, uh, the daughter of Pharaoh right off the bat. Okay? He did exactly the things that God told, that Moses told the people that they were not to do. And this was the guy who was the wisest guy who's ever lived. Okay? So that's a problem for all the rest of us. Um, if the uh, um, guy that God has supernaturally blessed with wisdom uh, makes choices like that. It isn't easy being king. Okay? And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, look what it says here. He shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it, read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brother's. I think we're going to see that some of the kings had uh, serious problems with their hearts being lifted up. And that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So gang, right there, uh, Moses is warning the people, and he's warning the future kings about what they shouldn't do and what they should do, Okay? Right here, the law of the kings. Someone from among their brothers um, must not acquire many horses, many wives, excessive gold and silver. And uh, he's to be one who meditates in the law 
day and night. Okay? Uh, That's Psalm 1 that we just read on the journey. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law so that his heart doesn't get lifted up, that he is... uh, um, doesn't it turn aside from the commandments, and that it may go well with him. Okay? That's a phrase we've heard a lot here recently from the stage on Sunday mornings, that uh, um, God is calling us to do those things that allows it to go well with us. And we're going to see whether the kings did or didn't do those sorts of things. All right, let's take a look at the background of First uh, and Second Kings. Okay? <laughs> I always start out with the author. The author of Kings is, we don't know. Jewish tradition uh, says that it was likely Jeremiah, uh, which would make sense for it to be Jeremiah. And uh, Robert Hubbard has a good discussion on um, the likely author. Um, although we don't know, we do know that uh, um, First and Second Kings isn't just about kings, but the prophets play a key role in uh, advising the kings and calling the kings to righteousness. And so First um, and Second Kings is also about the prophets that uh, were speaking truth from the Lord to these kings. When was it written? Well, it was written uh, sometime after 586 B.C., and we know at least one event can be dated from Babylonian records to around uh, 560 B.C. And so somewhere in that time frame, uh, the book, books were written. It was actually one book uh, to start with. And so why was it written? Well, it was written to a bunch of people who had lost their country, who had been defeated in battle, and who had been carried off into captivity. And so what was it doing? It was written to uh, explain to them, hey, here's what happened, here's why it happened, and it was also written to give them hope that God is a God who keeps his word, and his promise to return them to the land after 70 years of captivity is something that they were living in the midst of. They didn't know how that was going to come out, but we do today, and we know that, hey, God kept his word about that. And after 70 years, they were allowed to return from captivity. Okay? So it fits with the themes of God's faithfulness, his judgment uh, for those who uh, decide not to follow his ways, and uh, um, also um, that God's prophecies do come true. And its purpose, as I indicated, to teach the Jews during the Babylonian captivity about what happened, what went wrong, and why did it go wrong. This covers a time frame uh, of approximately um, 400 plus years, okay? We start off with uh, uh, David in his last days and uh, uh, what he did to ensure that Solomon followed him. You can read about that uh, in uh, 1 Kings 1 and 2. Uh, you can see the role that Bathsheba played in ensuring that her boy Solomon got to follow David on the throne. Uh, it concludes in 2 Kings 25 in something that can be dated from uh, um, historical records at about 560 B.C. And so we're talking about a period of approximately 400 years. So uh, the U.S. of A. has been around uh, for um, uh, 
not quite that long, uh, but you can see that um, this period of time is something that uh, is a lot of things happened, and um, you'll see throughout the book that, uh, or the two books, that um, the author is trying to say, look, here's what went wrong, let's not make these mistakes again. And if we will follow the way of the Lord, then he will be true to his word, okay? And if we don't follow his uh, way, he's also going to be true to his word to bring judgment. All right, here's a little uh, outline of uh, um, a timeline for the kings. And so we start, and again, I, I don't guarantee these dates, but these are, uh, there's several of them that you can say, hey, we're going to put our stake in the ground on these dates. Um, one of those is um, 931 B.C. when the kingdom divides. Another one is 722 B.C. when the northern kingdom is taken out by Assyria. Um, and then finally, 586 B.C. when the southern kingdom goes into captivity uh, at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Okay? And so this just gives you a little uh, frame of reference for uh, what we're dealing with. We've got David becoming king uh, uh, in First and Second Samuel. Uh, he reigns for about 40 years. Solomon then becomes king at the beginning of 1 Kings. He reigns for about 40 years. Then uh, Rehoboam was the next to follow him. Uh, but then the kingdom divides, and we'll talk about that uh, a little later on tonight. Uh, Rehoboam ultimately becomes the king over just uh, two tribes of the southern kingdom. Jeroboam um, is given the prophecy. He's told by the Lord through a prophet that, hey, I am going to give you ten tribes, and you're going to be the king over those. And then he, and we'll read this in just a minute, he is given a phenomenal promise uh, if he is uh, faithful in obeying, things will go well for him. And we'll see how he did on that. And so then we have uh, 19 or 20 kings for the northern kingdom, 20 kings for the southern kingdom, and we see what happens as we go along. All right, let me give you a little outline for the two books. And it's easy to remember uh, as you go through this, you're either in the United Kingdom or you're in the Divided Kingdom or you're in the Surviving Kingdom, which was the Southern Kingdom, Judah. They survived for an, an additional 130 or 40 years. Okay, And largely that came about through one king, who um, resisted the Assyrians when they conquered the uh, northern kingdom and then moved right down to try to conquer the southern kingdom. But a great king named Hezekiah uh, stood up to the uh, Assyrians. And how did he do it? He did it simply by trusting in the Lord and doing the things that the Lord told him to do. And he's one of the eight great kings uh, of Israel, one of the good kings uh, of Israel. So 1 Kings 1 through 11, the United Kingdom under uh, David and Solomon, 12 tribes united. Then the divided kingdom occurs in uh, 1 Kings 12, and it runs through 2 Kings 17 when Israel is uh, taken out uh, uh, by the Assyrians, Israel being the northern kingdom. 
the ten tribes, and uh, then the surviving kingdom is the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin alone. Any questions about that? All right, so let's look at a little overview of the kings. So we start with David as uh, the king of Israel, and uh, in the end of Second Kings, we end up with Nebuchadnezzar ruling the land that once was uh, Israel and Judah. Okay, it starts with Solomon's glory, and um, it ends with Jehoiakim's shame. We start with the temple being built in First uh, um, Kings six through eight, and being dedicated in First Kings eight, the high point of Israel, uh, Israel's history, and then we end with the t- temple being desecrated and destroyed. We see the growth of disobedience. And then we see in 2 Kings the doom of disobedience. We uh, see in 1 Kings the kingdom divided, and we close with the kingdom destroyed. And so what happened? Why was the kingdom divided? Okay, so I want to have a little table discussion for uh, five or ten minutes. And so I want you to discuss this at your table. Okay? Um. Here are uh, just a uh, couple of passages to read, 1 Kings 11, 9 through 13, and then uh, 11, 26 through 24, and then um, talk about what promises that God made to Jeroboam, and then how did uh, Rehoboam cause uh, the divided kingdom, and then uh, um, which one would you have followed? Which way would you have gone if you had been living at that time? So introduce yourself to each other, and uh, um, then let's answer these questions. I'll give you about five or ten minutes to do that. All right, let's go. What promises did God make to Jeroboam? Okay, well, so first, where is that found? End of 11, yeah. Um, look in First uh, Kings 11. We'll just do this together right quick. Okay, and so he has a prophet. This one is named Ahijah. Uh, And he says to Jeroboam in verse 31, take for yourself ten pieces. Uh, He's taken a new garment just to graphically uh, demonstrate what's getting ready to happen, how the uh, kingdom's going to be ripped out of the hand of uh, son of Solomon. Uh, He tore the uh, thing into twelve pieces, and then he said to Jeroboam in verse 31, 1 Kings 11, 31, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon uh, and will give you ten tribes. Okay? Um, And then he tells us why that happens. In verse 34, he says, I'm not going to take the whole kingdom, um, and I'm going to let him rule uh, er over everything for all of his life for the sake of, uh, not Solomon, but for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose, who kept my commandments and my statutes. Ding, ding, ding. There's a clue about how you can be a good king. But I'll take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it to you ten tribes. How about that? Um, Yet his son's going to get one tribe. It actually turns out to be two tribes. Uh, And I will take you and you shall reign over all that your soul desires. You know, the Lord has not come to me and said that. 
you know? That is a pretty great promise that Jeroboam was just given. And you shall be king over Israel. Now, verse 38, chapter 11, verse 38. And if you listen to all that I command you and will walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did. Hey, David did it. David wasn't perfect, but he's described as a man after God's own heart. Okay? And so if David did it, so can this guy. And look what it says. I will be with you. So you're not going to have to do it all by yourself. I'm going to be there helping you. And will build you a sure house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. Jeroboam, what part of that don't you understand? Okay? That is quite a promise. And how did Jeroboam respond? Well, here's what uh, Hubbard calls probably the key passage of 1 Kings. Read on down to, uh, um, uh, in chapter 12, and we'll start in uh, verse 26. So he's just gotten this amazing promise. And then he goes and says in his heart, that's always a bad thing. He said in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. Okay, well, the Lord just says, hey, if you'll do what I tell you, and I'm going to be with you, it's going to be yours, and I'm going to build you a house as sure as the one uh, I uh, promised David. Um, if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they'll kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. Does that remind you of anything? And if that doesn't remind you of anything, how about this? Uh, he said to the people, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Have we heard that before? Yeah, that's exactly what the people said when they built the golden calf um, uh, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai. Exactly the same words. And it's going to end up just as bad. And he set one up in um, Bethel and he put the other one in Dan. Dan was up at the top of the northern kingdom, the northernmost part, and Bethel was down the southernmost part. Then this became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from all the people who were not of the Levites. You know, the Lord said, hey, I'm going to divide the kingdom. He didn't say, I'm going to divide your worship of me. Okay? And so this guy has just been given the most amazing opportunity, and he blows it from the get-go. Okay? And so, what happened? What did Rehoboam do to cause the division? Anybody want to take a crack at that? 
Okay, so the people came to him and said, hey, your pop was pretty hard on us. And, you know, he made us work hard and uh, he made us pay a lot of taxes. And so will you lighten up? And so then he had the chance to listen to two different sets of advisors. Who was, who was the first set? The elders and his friends. Okay, so the elders and his friends. Well done. Angie, do we have a copy of this? I'm going to give this lady a copy of First Kings. She probably doesn't need it, but let's, this lady right up here. Um, thank you for participating. Okay? Um, good things come to those who participate. All right? Um, and so I've totally lost my train of thought. Um, and so the elders who were Solomon's advisors... And his high school buddies, okay? He had two chances. And he even did the right thing. He said, hey, let me think about this for three days and pray about it, and I'll get back to you. Come back in three days, okay? And so then he made the wrong choice. He rejected the um, elder's advice who said, hey, um, if you lighten up a little bit, they'll be your servants for life. Um, instead, he listens to his high school buddies who said, you go show them who's boss. And that did not work out well for him. And as a result, the kingdom ends up dividing. Well, you know, the Lord says, hey, I told you the kingdom was going to divide. Um, and that's one of those things that did the Lord cause the division or did uh, uh, Rehoboam's stupidity cause the division? Well, clearly he picked the wrong guys to listen to. And so who would you have followed? Jeroboam or Rehoboam? How many would have followed uh, Jeroboam? Okay, a few honest folks. I like that. Uh, How many would have followed Rehoboam? A few more. How many would have gone, hey, I think it's time to leave Israel? (laughs) Yeah, me too. Okay. Okay. What's that? Well, that's probably right. Uh, he said that you probably would have followed whatever your tribe did. Okay? And that, that's probably right. Uh, but, you know, that's really, that's not a good choice. Talking about uh, be, being between a rock and a hard place, um, that's not a good choice that you have there. All right, so let's dive in. Uh, um, I threw in a little map for you. Uh, if you just simply Google um, map divided kingdom of uh, Israel, you can get one on your computer that will uh, help you. But you can see Israel up here in the north. Where's my laser? It's there. All right, no laser. Um, but Israel's up here in the north. Those are the ten uh, tribes, Judah down in the south, com- um, consisting of Judah and Benjamin. And so let's talk about Jeroboam, okay? And so what I have uh, for each king is this little template, okay? And so um, gives you which one, uh, which kingdom he ruled over, whether it's Israel or Judah, and then the scriptures that relate to him. And it's interesting to watch the length of reign uh, for each one of these kings. That's a fact that it gives us for every king. And so Jeroboam ruled for 22 years. 
And then I've tried to uh, uh, determine, uh, and it's not hard to do because the text tells us, was he a good king or was he a bad king? And I use evil or reformed, okay? And by the time we get to a good king, uh, they have to be uh, reformers, okay? And so um, most of the kings have a prophet that uh, is active during um, their reign. And uh, for... um, Jeroboam, we see uh, Ahijah, we've just talked about. And then in chapter 13, there's a description of a man of God who comes and speaks a prophetic word to Jeroboam as well. And then I've given you a little uh, summary that helps me remember what's going on with this particular king. And then we're going to talk about together the so what. You know, the question of, okay, so why are we worrying about this king that lived... Um, thousands of years ago, uh, and how does it impact the decisions that you and I have to make on a daily basis? Okay, and so for the summary for Jeroboam, I uh, contrasted the promise that we just read versus the pattern that he set. So we're going to see that just about every king after Jeroboam Uh, of the northern kingdom is described as having walked in the ways of Jeroboam. And so, gang, you are an example to someone. And you're either going to be a good example or you're going to be a bad example. And unfortunately for Jeroboam, he is a bad example for all the rest of the kings of the northern kingdom. Because they're all, in an essence, going to follow the ways of Jeroboam. So look for that phrase as you look at uh, each one of the different uh, kings of the northern kingdom of Israel. Okay? And so as we think about Jeroboam, what sort of so what? What sort of things can we take from a guy that was given this great promise and told that the Lord, that I am going to be with you, says the Lord and then from the get-go, immediately turned south. Hmm? Fear. fear, okay? We can't live in fear. Uh, he had the promise of the Lord. Okay, what else do we take from him? Set up false idols, these golden calves. That's good. What else would you say? Yes, sir. And what was the, the uh, did everybody hear that? That's a great observation, that things weren't as they seem, uh, that, um, you know, he feared that people were going to uh, keep going down to Jerusalem and they would forget about him and decide to go back to Rehoboam and rebel. Um, And so um, what did he have to contrast that with? What was his guarantee that that wouldn't have happened if he had followed the ways of the Lord? Yeah, God promised that uh, I'm going to be with you. It's going to be all right. And so trust me on this. But he didn't do that. Okay, and so um, what would you say for the so what uh, as a summary? Well, um, here's what I said. 
uh, I said, whose way? Whose way am I going to follow? Is it going to be my way or is it going to be the Lord's way? That's the choice that Jeroboam had. Whose way was he going to follow? And so instead of um, pursuing the Lord, and uh, um, he did everything he could to not pursue the Lord. He erects these uh, uh, golden calves. He appoints priests not of the tribe of Levite, uh, Levi. He uh, sets up high places to worship in lieu of going down to Jerusalem. And so he does everything he can to not uh, walk in the way of the Lord. And by doing so, he becomes the pattern for wrongdoing for all the rest of the kings of the northern kingdom. Okay? You know, gang, we've got that same decision to make on a daily basis. Whose way are we going to follow? And it's easy to say, hey, I've got a promise from the Lord. We've got a book full of promises for the Lord. But it's hard to do what he asks us to do because my stupid will gets in the way of doing that. Okay? And so I've got some empathy for Jeroboam, but also uh, uh, can say, you know, that guy blew it because he had an amazing promise from the Lord. All right? So whose way? Whose way will you follow? All right, how about Rehoboam? Well, um, he's the first king of the uh, divided kingdom of uh, Judah. There are uh, his scripture references. He ruled for 17 years and definitely uh, um, continued to walk in the way of Solomon. Um, he had a prophet who uh, speaks to him as well. And for his summary, I uh, talked about uh, um, foolish counsel. And uh, continuous war that it says that was waged between uh, Israel and Judah uh, all through the reign of Rehoboam. Okay? And so the so what for Rehoboam is um, pretty easy to figure out, isn't it? Whose counsel are you going to listen to? Okay? Now, that's easy to say. Sometimes the counsel you're getting... uh, that's advising you to go two different ways, uh, both of them have uh, points to uh, recommend them. Okay? But as we evaluate counsel, we're called to um, compare it with what the Word of God says uh, and then to seek counsel of uh, mature believers uh, in our community or, um, you know, uh, our place of worship or whatnot. And then uh, evaluate all that as we, on our own, take it to the Lord in prayer. Okay? question um, that Rehoboam uh, needed to ask himself was, whose counsel am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to my high school buddies who are saying, you know, um, puff up and show them that you're in charge here? Or am I going to listen to the wise elders uh, that were my dad's counselors who were saying, hey, treat these uh, uh, people in kindness and they'll be your servants forever. Okay, as we look back, we can go, all right, that was a pretty easy choice, really. But I'm sure in the moment, it wasn't easy at all. And sometimes we're in situations like that 
And that's when we've got to um, be on our knees and be seeking wise counsel from um, faithful followers of Christ whose judgment we trust. All right, let's keep rolling. The next king is Abijam. Okay, so um, we haven't talked much about him, so let's go look him up in uh, 1 Kings 15. You see that he only reigned for three years, and he only has eight verses attributed to him. And so you can conclude from that that things did not go well. Okay? And uh, um, he does set an interesting uh, sort of pattern for us. Um, Look in verse 2. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of um, Abishalom. Um, it's interesting that um, for the southern king, southern kingdom kings, for the kings of Judah, um, the mom, the mother of the king, is routinely um, given. Okay, uh, Hubbard's got an interesting passage about that. Uh, listen to what he says about that. Um. It says that uh, um, the mother of the king had an official state position as um, the quote-unquote great lady or queen mother, a position of great political influence in the ancient world. Uh, Parallels to this powerful political office exist among the Canaanites and Hittites. The queen mother was almost second in command to the king, a fact that explains how Athaliah, who we'll uh, talk about um, uh, next week or the week after, could seize the throne and rule Judah for seven years after her son, Ahaziah, died. Okay? And so, interestingly, the author uh, will often list the mothers of the Judean kings, but not of the uh, kings of Israel. Um, Not exactly sure why that is, but uh, it is interesting to note that routinely the kings of Judah... Uh, will also describe their mom, their mothers. Okay, so moms are important, obviously, and uh, um, so the queen mother um, had uh, um, unusual influence in each particular king's life. Okay, and we'll see what happens to some of them. And so, what happens to him? Well, in verse three, he walked in all the sins that his father did before him, um, and. Uh, um, his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. And simply, uh, David his father is a reference to David as his ancestor. And we'll see that David is a pattern for the um, southern kingdom, like Jeroboam is a pattern for the northern kingdom. And so the good kings in um, the southern kingdom are said that they follow the ways of David. And the bad kings in the southern kingdom, are, well, it'll be said of some of them at least, that they failed to follow the ways of David. So both David and Jeroboam serve as patterns. Okay? And so it says, uh, verse 4, Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life. 
except the little matter of Uriah the Hittite. Um, now there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life and the rest of the acts of uh, uh, Abijam and all that he did. Were they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And you'll see at least two or three different sources referenced um, as um, where the author of Kings got his information. Now, none of those books survive today. We simply have the book of First and Second Kings uh, surviving. Okay, And then it's interesting that uh, uh, for most of the kings, it'll say that uh, he slept with his fathers. This is verse 8. And they buried him in the city of David if it's a southern, king, a southern kingdom king. And then it'll talk about who ruled in his place. Okay, And so I summarized uh, uh, Abijam by saying that his heart was not wholly true and he followed Rehoboam's pattern. Okay? Uh, it says that he walked in um, all the sins that his father Rehoboam did before him. Okay, so does that help you get a sense of what we're going to do with each one of these kings? And so I hope that then will give you a handy guide so that you will be able to recall these um, kings as you go through. And remember this uh, promise for the f- uh, fourth week, um, you will have it in a little front and back sort of uh, thing that you can keep uh, there uh, as you refer to uh, the different kings and be able to quickly figure out, was it southern kingdom, was it northern kingdom, how long did they reign, what was important about their reign, and that sort of thing. All right, let's move on. We go to another king. Whoops. We lost something. There we go. There we go. Um, Asa. Here's our first good king. Okay? We had to have one good king tonight. Um, you can read about him in 1 Kings 15, 9 through 24. He reigned for 41 years, one of the longer reigning kings uh, of Israel or Judah. Um, and if you look at 1 Kings 15, look at what it says. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done. Okay, that simply means David his ancestor. Um, Verse 14 says, But the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. Um, Gang, give me a big dose of that to be said about me. Okay, to be said about you. That's what we want to be said. Okay, so was Asa perfect? Well, keep reading. Um, We already know from verse 14 that the high places weren't taken away. Okay, and uh, verse 23 tells us that he has some sore feet. Um, That doesn't tell us a lot, but what that does, uh, if you um, flip over to 2 Chronicles, and you can do this, or um, um, yeah, I think it's in Second Chronicles. You can do this for the kings of Judah. Because Chronicles concerns, uh, for the most part, the kings of Judah. And you can get additional information about those kings. We don't have enough time to cover it. Uh, but, for example, um, for Asa, uh, it tells us that uh, he sought help from physicians when his feet got uh, uh, to hurting him rather than from the Lord. That's Second Chronicles 16, 12. 
And he also made a treaty with uh, um, the ruler of Syria, which was a guy named Benadad. And he did that instead of trusting in the Lord's provision as he had in other situations. Okay, so, you know, um, for the summary, uh, I have holy, his heart wholly true to the Lord all his days that is specifically said about him. Uh, but for my so what on this one, I said wholly true, but not necessarily perfect. Okay, so he did follow David's pattern. But he left the high places. He depended on uh, treaties instead of uh, uh, what the Lord would provide. And he sought help from physicians instead of trusting the Lord. Okay? And so um, God's not looking for perfection. Even though um, Sermon on the Mount says, You must be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. Well, what the Lord's telling us there is that, Look, you can't be perfect, but I can if you allow me to live my life through you. And if we will follow the ways of the Lord and do what he calls us to do, then things will work out and it will go well with us. Okay? And so even though he wasn't uh, perfect, how about uh, having um, Scripture record forever that your heart was wholly true to the Lord all his days? That's a good king. So remember Asa. All right, now we go back up to the northern kingdom, and things uh, uh, don't go so well. Again, you can see a short reign. Uh, look on down uh, um, in First uh, Kings 15, and we'll uh, talk a little bit about Nadab. Um, we see in First uh, Kings 15:26, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And walked in the way of his father and in the sin which he made Israel to sin. Okay? Um, his father, uh, um, of course, was Jeroboam. And so we see the pattern of Jeroboam being repeated uh, already in his son. And that's really it all, all it tells us. And uh, the next thing it tells us is he got killed, he was assassinated. And that's something else we're going to see, that a number of the kings of the northern kingdom are assassinated. And so he's killed by um, uh, someone named Basha. It happens uh, um, fairly quickly in his reign. And look what happens then. As soon as he, meaning Basha, this is uh, uh, 1 Kings fifteen twenty nine, um, he killed all the house of Jeroboam. You know, that's... The way things happened back then, the first thing you do is uh, um, after you'd taken over in a coup is that you'd kill all the uh, relatives of the old king. And he left uh, uh, to the house of Jerusalem not one that breathed until he had destroyed it according to the word of the law, Lord that he spoke by his servant Ahijah the, the Shilonite. Uh, it was for the sins of Jeroboam that he sinned, and he made all Israel to sin, and because of the anger to which he provoked the Lord, the God of Israel. And so, you know, God's word, remember, this is a theme we'll see throughout, that God's word was fulfilled. God said that, hey, Jeroboam, you've been a bad king. I'm not going to allow your descendants to live. And so ultimately, it didn't happen immediately, but ultimately with his son Nadab, um, the lion of Jeroboam gets wiped out. 
okay? Wiped out by uh, a guy who uh, becomes the next king. And so for Nadab, uh, the only thing I had to say about him was that, hey, he was assassinated, okay? And for a uh, so what... I think this is another one. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to walk in the the ways of uh, um, your evil father? Or are you going to uh, break out? You know, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And that certainly came true for Nadab. Basha. Interestingly, even though he came... Uh, to the throne by assassination, he rules for 24 years. And he actually is the third longest reign in the northern kingdom. Um, but that doesn't change anything. Um, when you read on about Basha at the end of uh, chapter 15, beginning of chapter uh, 16... What does he do? He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's uh, 1534. And walked in the way of Jeroboam. There you go. And is his sin which he made Israel to sin. And he has a prophet that uh, says, Hey, you didn't learn anything from what you did to all of Jeroboam's people. And because of what you've done and walking in the way of Jeroboam, Jehu, the prophet, says to him, since I exalted you out of the dust, apparently he was, uh, you know, came from uh, uh, poor beginnings and made you leader over my people Israel. This is the Lord speaking. Uh, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam and made my people Israel to sin, provoking me to anger with their sins. Behold, I will utterly sweep away Basha and his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And anyone belonging to Basha who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. They won't even be buried. Any one of his who dies in the field, the birds of the heavens shall eat. How's that for a, uh, uh, a future? Okay, and so um, for summary, I put that uh, he fulfilled Ahijah's prophecy against Jeroboam's line when he wiped out Nadab and all the descendants of, of Jeroboam. And for the so what, um, I just simply said that uh, um, this guy learned nothing. He is historical proof of the adage that the only thing we learn from history is that we learn nothing from history. You know, gang, we need to learn from the mistakes of those around us. Um, even though he was God's instrument to eliminate Jeroboam's line, um, he didn't learn from that. And as a result, by following the ways in the footsteps of Jeroboam, by being evil, um, he has the exact same thing happening uh, to him. And so are we going to learn from not only our mistakes, but the mistakes we see others make? And so we want to be people who learn from uh, the things that happen to us. Basha obviously wasn't. He learned nothing. And as a result... The same thing happened to him. All right, how are we doing? I've got uh, 12 minutes to do one, two, three kings. Okay, so button your chin straps, uh, buckle in, here we go. Uh, the next king won't take long. Um, th- 
In fact, uh, uh, he only ruled for about 12 minutes, okay? Um, actually, he ruled for two years. You can read about him in 1 Kings 16. Um, he, too, was evil. Uh, no big surprise there. Let's take a quick look at that. There are not many verses about him. And uh, what does it say about him? He says, well, when he was at Tirzah, which was serving as the capital of uh, the northern kingdom at that point, uh, drinking himself drunk, this is uh, uh, verse 9, you can't make this stuff up, uh, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, who was over the household in Tirzah, so he was hanging out with one of his guys uh, getting drunk, uh, Zimri came in and struck him down and killed him. Okay, so there you go. Got drunk and got assassinated. That's what we know about uh, um, Elah. And so what do we say for the uh, uh, so what from this guy? (laughs) Well, don't drink and rule, okay? (laughs) Don't drink and rule. So we know that he got drunk, we know that he got assassinated, and we know that... uh, um, um, he was part of Basha's line that got wiped out. That's not a good legacy. All right, next one, Zimri. He's the one that uh, assassinated uh, Elah. And, you know, I should have said that he ruled for um, 12 uh, minutes because he literally almost did. He ruled for seven days. How about that? That's not very long. And yet, it was fairly illustrious, okay? (laughs) Think about it. He ruled for seven days, um, shortest reign in either Israel or Judah. But you know, gang, this is no way to get in the history books, okay? And so, um, he was an overachiever. But uh, in seven days, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He uh, walked in the way of Jeroboam, and he made Israel commit sin. And so, you know, my word of caution to you there is to pick a better role model, okay, than Zimri. He was a short-timer who uh, didn't last very long. Uh, my summary was that he was a fast flame-out. You know, he, he sees... Um, the army under Omri coming to uh, um, capture him. And he says, I'm not going to let that happen. And he sits in the house of the king and burns it down over him. That's not a good way to go. Okay? All right. And so for the final one, Omri. Once again, king of Israel. He lasts a little bit longer, um, but if you look at First uh, um, Kings 16, he doesn't get many verses either. Uh, and he has to spend about the first half of these six year, of these 12 years, six of them, uh, fighting with a guy named Tibni uh, to uh, assume the throne. And so Tibni is the one who some scholars use to um, make the 20th king uh, of um, Israel, okay? Um, You know, I'd rather just go with uh, uh, 19, 
because it really never says that um, he was made king. Uh, it says that half the people followed him. This is uh, 1621. Um, the, to make him king, and the other half followed uh, Omri, uh, but then they obviously fought, and uh, Omri uh, overcame Tibni, and so Tibni uh, got killed, never became king, and I would count uh, Omri as the king for that era. Uh, it says that he reigned for 12 years uh, total, um, and he's known for a couple of uh, uh, interesting things. Uh, it says that he bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver and fortified the hill and called the name of the city that he built Samaria. And that became uh, the capital of the northern kingdom. So he went on a building uh, spree and built what became the capital of the northern kingdom. Okay? And it remained uh, the capital of um, an important area even in Jesus' day um, because um, they, uh, after uh, the northern kingdom was taken out um, and uh, they took away um, all the productive people of uh, the northern kingdom and left behind kind of the um, dregs of society and those folks intermarried with the Canaanites, they became who? They became the Samaritans and it underscores why the Samaritans were so hated by the Jews. Okay? They obviously, they were divided uh, even uh, as Jews, but then when they intermarried with the uh, Canaanite people who were left in the land of the northern kingdom, um, they became even more hated by the Jews. And it makes you understand why a righteous Jew would not even travel through uh, Samaria. Uh, the region took on the name of its capital city, um, Samaria. And so for Jesus in John 4, for example, to walk through Samaria and to stop and have an encounter with the woman at the well in John 4 was amazing. I mean, it blew uh, the minds of uh, his disciples, okay, that he'd be talking with a woman and especially that he'd be talking with a Samaritan woman, okay? Um, but that's the way the Lord rolled. He wasn't bound by these traditions of men, but he had a heart to go where people would be responsive to his message of the kingdom and his message of, hey, come follow me. And we saw that not only did she respond, but she went and told her whole city, and the city came out to say, hey, is this so? And then that city believed because of... Uh, their encounter with Christ, even though he was walking through an area that righteous Jews would never set foot. Okay, and that's how that came about um, through um, what Omri built there um, on the hill of Samaria, uh, the city that became the capital and the capital that gave the name to the region that uh, became important during uh, the time of Christ. And so what else does it say about him? In verse 25, this is 1625, it says, Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And look at this. Now, here is a true overachiever. Did more evil than all who were before him. Okay, so think about that. Okay, we've got Rehoboam before him. We've got uh, um, Zimri before him. We've got uh, um, Jeroboam, the pattern of evil for the northern kingdom. And... Um, 
Scripture says that this guy was more evil than any of them. Um, And so that leads me to uh, my so what for this guy is that here's another overachiever in the wrong way. It's interesting to to note, uh, and this um, Hubbard talks about a little bit, it, it says that he was likely the strongest and most politically effective northern kingdom king to this point. Okay, And maybe that's why he did more evil than all of them, because he was effective. Um, And so, you know, we don't want to be overachievers in the wrong way. We want to follow hard after Christ and walk in the way of the Lord. All right? And so, whoops, is that it? Okay, so um, let's close by um, just asking ourselves the basics. So what? What can we learn from each king? And ask yourself, which one are you most like? Which one are you least like? Which one can you learn the most from and why? And this will give you something to contemplate as we adjourn right now and go downstairs where Angie is serving up a bunch of summer treats that you don't want to miss. And uh, it'll give you an opportunity to visit with uh, your friends and neighbors uh, at your table and whatnot uh, downstairs. So after I pray, uh, head downstairs to the Welcome Center, and we've got a bunch of uh, summer treats that we'll have every um, week for you to enjoy. And uh, um, I'll be sticking around, so if you have questions about what we've covered, obviously um, it is hard in the course of an hour and a half to talk in depth about uh, nine different kings, and some weeks we'll do as many as 11. Um, But I'll be sticking around, and if you have questions, I'd love to uh, visit with you more about that. Um, If you want to read ahead a little bit, uh, just keep reading in uh, um, 1 Kings. We're going to talk next week about someone who made Omri look like a piker, okay? So we've got a lot to look forward to. His name is Ahab, okay? Um, His wife is uh, um, um, someone that uh, people still talk about today and still use her name, Uh, and so we'll have a lot of fun next week as we uh, uh, roll on, okay? Any questions right now? All right, let me pray, and uh, thanks for being a part of this, and we'll have some fun as we uh, dig in with uh, an even worse king next week. Lord, thanks for uh, these friends who uh, uh, have given up uh, uh, Thursday night to want to know more, um, most of all, Father, about you. And so, Lord, we want to be a people who make uh, decisions that honor and please you. We want to walk in your ways and not in the ways of Jeroboam or in the ways of Rehoboam and certainly not in the ways of Omri. And so, Lord, uh, um, we simply claim the promise that uh, you made to Jeroboam that you would be with him. And you've told us the exact same thing. And you've sent your spirit uh, to live within us, to guide us, uh, to be the uh, answer that uh, when we're trying to figure out which way to go. And uh, we claim that, Father, that we might be people who walk in a manner worthy and pleasing uh, to you and that we bring you honor and glory in the way that we live our lives. So forgive us when we fall short, Father. May we be like David and keep getting up even though uh, um, we uh, turn the wrong way. May we not stay there. 
and may we make recovery in a way that honors you. So thanks for this time. Amen.